Welcome to the Osteo Connection, the number one podcast for osteopaths looking to expand their minds and improve their practice. I'm Kevin Longpray. I'm Jason Turnbull. And I'm Dr. Sean Landry. And if you're new here, welcome. This show is dedicated to bridging the gap between your formal education and real-world practice success. Join us every week where we share our combined 50 years of practice experience, talk tips, strategies, and interview rock stars in the business. Okay, welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Kevin Longpray, Dr. Sean Landry to my right, Jason T-Bone Turnbull to my left. Uh, this is the Osteo Connection. We are very lucky today to have a, an amazing guest with us whom uh, we're going to have the privilege of speaking with at a, an upcoming uh, symposium as well, uh, which I always forget the name of. <laughs> Integration. Integration Symposium. Integration, yeah. Nice. It's a tough one. <laughs> it's two words. Yeah. <laughs> They're long. <laughs> uh, so uh, Jacob uh, Simonini, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Um Thanks. So, Jason, uh, you're an osteopath in Georgetown, practicing in Georgetown. Jason, actually, yes. I'm an osteopath uh, here yeah, currently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason's an osteopath in part of my way there, yes, but I'm here, yes, in Georgetown. Yeah. Are you good? You I okay? Think I, I think it's good. I didn't eat wow. lunch. Wow, those holidays. Uh, <laughs> long Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I'm here in Georgetown. I want yeah. to thank you guys first off, you know, for having me on. I'm extremely excited about this. It's uh, I love osteopathy. I could talk about it forever. So, uh, you know, I'm honored that you would ask me to be on here. So, yeah. Um, so I want to thank you for that. Yeah, I'm here in Georgetown, a small little town just uh, outside, you know, 45 minutes from Toronto or so. Uh, and it's yeah, a great little spot. We have a clinic here. There's myself, another osteopath, massage, acupuncture. And uh, yeah, the town <clears throat> offers, uh, uh, you know, a great environment. A lot of people who really are into self-healing, they're really into uh, um, you know, uh, improving their health, uh, living outdoors, you know, getting exercise, eating right. So it's a great environment for osteopathy. Nice. Mm -hmm. so, so tell us a little bit, because I know I read in your bio that you started off in, in advanced care paramedics and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. so how did you, how did you, uh, get the bug for osteopathy? Uh, yeah, I was a advanced care paramedic in Peel for almost 10 years. Um, I just, I, you know, <clears throat> I kind of went as far as I could in that, it, it, the way I felt about it. Uh, at some point, I, I just felt like there was something more that I wanted to do. I don't know what it was. There was just something that was uh, gravitating me towards something a little bit different. I was in advanced care. <clears throat> I loved teaching. I was a preceptor, which both those things I really had a passion for. I loved to teach and uh, I loved precepting, taking on students. That was a, a great part of being in a, uh, a paramedic. I worked in research uh, at the time. But I still, there's just, I just felt that there was something different I needed. And I happened to have a colleague of mine at the time. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, you ever heard of osteopathy? I was like, no, what the hell is that? I have no clue what that is. So I ended up looking it up and uh, I was like, oh, it's pretty interesting. Went down to uh, the school I went to, I went to an information session. And it's like, okay, this sounds pretty good. And then I took, uh, sat in on some classes in the summer and I started in the fall and just fell in love with it. Fell in love with the idea. Fell in love with Doctor what Doctor Sill was trying to uh, impart, and uh, yeah, it's, since then it's osteopathy. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And there, there, there are because um, the the Canadian Academy of Osteopathy is is a little bit different too than uh, some of the other colleges. Mm -hmm. this, right. Mm -hmm. um, what What do you think the some of the main differences are in terms of like I guess 
traditional osteopathy as they like determine versus uh, maybe more of the modern type of osteopathy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Touchy yeah. subject. Um, <laughs> I will go with sort of how I'm going to start my presentation, which is, I mean, we all come from different institutions, right? We all come from different educational backgrounds. There's different ways of looking at it. I think um, it was uh, Dr. Dickey in the US who had a, a really good excerpt on like the history of osteopathy and where he felt things kind of uh, like veered off. And uh, I, I have a, a mentor down in the US and we talk about it often. And he explained to me, even in 1915, when uh, Edith Ashmore took over um, the American uh, Osteopathic Association and took over <clears throat> teaching at Kirksville, she said, like, it's, it's, they, they couldn't conceptualize how to teach what Dr. Still was doing. They couldn't. So they came up with a model and they used the HPLA, right? So, and if you look at whether it be Dr. Fulford, whether it be Roland Becker, they all said the same thing, right? They leave school, they all did HPLA. And then within like five, 10 years, they're like, hmm. Uh, this isn't what Dr. Still was doing. This, this isn't what osteopathy was, but they needed a way of teaching it, right? And there's a reason, my mentor said, there's a reason why Freyette's stuff didn't come out until after Dr. Still died, right? Dr. Still never thought of it as a, a type two lesion or, you know, <clears throat> a right on right or left on left in the sake. He never looked at it that way, <clears throat> but you needed a model to teach it. And I think what happened over the years is that's what happened here as well, right? Is you needed a way, how, how are we going to get this information across? So each school, each institution said, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do, right? This is the way I could teach it. And this is another way I could teach it. I think the main difference between them is the model they chose to try and teach it. <clears throat> and models are fine. And the idea behind teaching it that way is fine. It's what you do with it afterwards, I think, which differentiates one osteopath to another, in my opinion. Yeah. I, and it's really just the model. I couldn't agree more. Like it, yeah. it's funny because th that's so what happened uh, with well, with me anyways in school um, was exactly that, right? Like learning that model, mm -hmm. fortunate enough to have some some of uh, the people running the school too that were very tied into that traditional form of uh, osteopathy. Mm -hmm. But again, it was always like this thing in the background that they were like, yeah, but you know, for now, let's just keep it to this. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until you were done and I, I'm sure you felt the same way. Like you start working, you know, and um, you start realizing there's so much more to oh, yeah. this whole amazing machine than mm -hmm. the pure mechanics and this systematic way of going about it, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, led into looking at more mindset stuff to uh, understanding like the deeper rooted issues someone's going with, uh, going through and how it's being translated into their biology. Mm -hmm. um, so is, is, did you find that was, uh, like when you started treating too, that putting, putting that practice onto your patient, like, what was that like, uh, making that transition into actually working on people? Yeah, it was, I think it was a huge difference. It was, I, I think about two years in or so, I remember treating and I was just like, you know, as you're reading, I'm like, man, it just doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with the model, but it's your interpretation of what you're doing. It's your mindset of how you're, how you're applying it to your patient. I'm like, just, man, it just doesn't make sense. So when I started to read and started to dive a little bit more into, again, everybody has their own lens of what it is, right? So no matter who you talk to, it's a, their lens, right? So it's still their lens. It's not Dr. Still, it's their lens, right? So there's always that sort of like, you know, your interpretation of what you think is going to be best for your patient or, or what you think is going to be the best way to approach osteopathy. And as I started to dive into that, 
a lot more in the in the books I read or or going to courses. And I started thinking about it differently. I'm like, oh man, like I'm gonna apply it differently. And I'm gonna start applying it to my patients. And the results were dramatically different because my intent was different, right? Yeah. Instead of it being like, you know, a leg rotation right or leg rotation left, or you do this in this order, you do that in that order, you start treating you start trying to interact with the person. And I mean more than just the human body, right? I mean, if you look at Dr. Still's writings, I was just in the US in, in August uh, and we were all having this, this conversation and there was a DO from Boston, old DO, uh, Dr. Astruth. I don't know if you've heard of her, but um, she was telling us that if you take his original writings, like when he died, they burnt everything of his that wasn't specific in those books. Like, so if it wasn't related to osteopathic mechanics and principles, research and practice, they burnt everything because everything else was the electromagnetism, the spiritualism, the idea behind it being more than just a human body. And uh, so when you start applying some of those principles, what he was truly thinking, you're like, man, like, well, that's pretty crazy. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I was down at, uh, and um, uh I was told this story about uh, Dr. Fulford. He went into a, a convocation and this guy was had headaches for months. He, it's a deal. So he's walking into the convocation and he's standing there talking to a bunch of other people. And Dr. Fulford's across the room and he notices him. He looks at him, walks right over to him, steps on his foot, kind of pushes him back a bit, then gets off his foot. He says, you'll thank me later for adjusting your, your cuboid. Your headache's going to go away, don't worry. Got that he goes right? Because there's, there's just more to it, right? So uh, I'll, I'll give you another example. My daughter, um, she's a competitive dancer. And uh, we went to Mexico recently, she had a big competition down there uh, for Team Canada. And uh, before that, about a month and a half or so before that, she had injured her her toe, and she thought she broke it. So anyways, go to the competition, we come back. And about two weeks later, she starts like severe abdominal pain. Like she's like, Dad, there's something's wrong. And I'm like, all right, well, let me take a look. And I'm like looking around, looking around. I'm like, just popped in my head. Sometimes you have to go with what your intuition is. And I'm like, I'm going to go back to that toe because uh, Dr. Koss told us a story about the relation of the toe to the liver. And that's what Dr. Fulford used to think. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to take a look at that toe. So I took a look at her big toe. And sure enough, you could feel that that force wasn't in there. That life, it's just not there. So I grabbed the toe and I started working with it in relation to that idea. And as soon as I felt the change there uh, my intent went from the toe to her liver and she immediately is like writhing in pain she's like I don't know what the hell I'm doing but I'm in so much pain right now I'm like just relax just breathe it's gonna go as soon as I felt that change happen pain went everything gone and you're like the the potential you have if you're willing to go there is is profound in my opinion what I, what I'd be, I totally agree with you. I, I, I love this. I, lo I love that approach. I love the fact too, the, of um, really talking about the, the importance of trusting that, that intuitive yeah. and huge yeah. reason. And, and like you said, every person that comes in is that, that key of actually just listening, listening to what's going on with that person is so important to uh, being able to do that. Now, um, I think there's other uh, things too that are important to do. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about uh, routines and stuff like that with you. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I'm of the same mindset. I, I do that every day. And I think that really had a major impact on my ability to uh, connect with the patient more, to have mm -hmm. more openness to all this in the sense of uh, receiving more information. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about um, your your routine, just to give people an idea too, because we talk about it all the time, but uh, giving them another uh, reference point or another lens on mm -hmm on this whole approach and how maybe other people could start opening up more to get more information. You know, I have a, a, a little question that goes on along with that is, is yeah. do you, so for our listeners, and we talked about intuition, um, do you think that your routine, you know, that hopefully we're going to get into, does it help you access and connect to your intuition and connect to the patient? Um, you know, and is that something that again, as you started to, as this started to unfold in your practice, um, did you notice that, that, you know, the, that, that kind of, you were able to set the stage to, to listen better if you had other aspects of your life in order? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good question, Sean. Yeah. I, I really think that, uh, it starts with you. And if you don't have, uh, yourself first off in order, and also if you don't truly believe yourself, I don't think that you can make the change on somebody else if you don't believe it yourself. So that belief has, I mean, you have to start from somewhere. And I, I think it, it always begins with you, right? And I think whether you look at the most powerful force in the world, which is love, it's got to begin with you. And one of the things that sort of set me on the stone of having a routine was they talked about a, uh, uh, I can't remember which book I read it in, but they talked about doctors still going in for a case. And he, the lady had explained what was going on and she, he went to her home and they said he sat there and he meditated for 30 minutes before he touched her. And the family's like, what, what is this guy doing? But he felt like he needed that moment to really get himself into that position. And I think if you look at the, the stories of Dr. Falford and Roland Becker, they would do the same thing. They'd meditate for, you know, two, three hours. Uh, Dr. Stagger down in the U.S. now, the I believe the head of the, the AAO is same thing. It starts his morning with meditation every day. And so that's what I started to do. So I get up at 4.30. My routine's a little bit different because I also train quite a bit on the physical aspect of things. So got a triathlon tomorrow. So I got to make sure that I can actually do it, not drown. Um, so I get up at four 30. I start my day with uh, Tibetan rites because um, it just gets the energy of each of those centers moving in the proper direction, which a little segue I actually learned uh, recently from Dr. Estruth about uh, biogeometry. That's what it's all about, right? It's about those energy centers moving in the right direction. So that's what Tibetans have done for thousands of years. So I follow those Tibetan rites. I do my meditation and then I do training and I'll train for anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, depending on what I'm trying to do. I sneak in about, you know, 30 minutes of reading and then I do my kids stuff. Right. So I try and structure my routines that I don't affect my kids' lives that much. So I try and structure it in there. I mean, you're always going to, there's always going to be some blend in there, but so I structure that, get them off to school, do that, work for my day, come home. And when they go to bed at night, that's when I try and get in some more reading, but that routine in the morning, I feel like, is night and day from where the way I used to be. I mean, I've been doing it now for, I'm going to say three years. And I think it's made a huge difference in my life and how I'm able to interact with patients, how I'm able to interact with myself, feel intuition, uh, trust intuition. Um, <laughs> a little, uh, a little interesting. So I'm not, I'm not sure what you guys think of mediums, but I went to a medium a couple of years ago and she left some little bit of time at the end. And I said to her, I said, and she says, is there anyone else you want me to contact? I said, yeah. I said, Love you to contact uh, Andrew Taylor still for me. She's looking at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, can you see if you can get a hold of Dr. Andrew Taylor still? 
Who's she's that like, guy? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, she's like, give me, let me, let me give it a shot. She comes back and she just talks about the fact that, you know, all he's doing is showing me a bone, showing me the femur, what it looks like to be the femur. And she went on like a little bit about bone. And she, he was talking about anatomy. And then she said, do you ever sit there during a treatment and feel like something pops in your head? Yeah, all the time. She goes, do you ever ask for him? I said, every single treatment I do. And she goes, that's him. So I, you know, I start my day with that meditation, that idea of intent. And I start my day with, um, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, Dr. Hendricks. He's a psychologist down in the U.S. Just talks about, you know, you should have almost like a, not necessarily a mantra, but kind of like a mantra. Quickly read it to you, just quickly, if you want. Uh, this is what I start my day with. It, um, and it just says, like, the, the Lord is my light and salvation. He will guide me to the obstruction of people's health. I will find and correct the obstruction to people's health through the guidance of the divine and infinite intelligence as the divine right and God governs me. So that's how I start each day before I practice in hopes that, you know, there's someone there that's also helping and guiding me with them. That's Hopefully awesome. that answers it. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Amazing. How, I don't know if you covered that. How long have you been doing this for he said three years but what got you started in that what made your was it a teacher you had or where did you decide to say hmm, i really want to get into these readings i'm kind of found a mentor in the states that really kind of maybe shifted your path or maybe clearly lit up your path and the way you're, the way you're practicing and living now yeah i would say it's a combination of a couple of things i would say it was just reading the original text reading a lot of the original text especially when you start to read uh like you know, doctor still talks about a lot of the original texts he didn't like because they were very medical. So you start to kind of read a little bit more in depth about what he was saying. And then a good buddy of mine who works here with me, uh, Rudy Rosario, another osteopath, he started, yeah, hey, man, why don't we go down to the States and start like introducing ourselves to some of these people and see what happens. So we started doing that. And we're like, wow, it's pretty amazing. Some, some people are willing to teach you. They're willing to, you know, tell you about what they, they've they learned. And we've made some really good friends down there and had some great conversations. And I think that's really what started that path was the books. Him and I have lunch every day together. And this is what we talk about. And I think those things and the experience, I think when you start to experience it and you realize it, you're like, wow, that's a different treatment than I've ever given before. And you know the difference between like when you're like, you're in that you're like, I'm connecting with this that completely different experience from just, you know, doing a treatment. Yeah. And that experience itself is like, yeah, it just it gets you so excited. It, it's almost like effortless, right? Oh yeah. I, I like people are, you know, you always hear that uh, people talk about, you know, going to work is, you know, some people go to work. It's like, Oh man, I gotta go to work. I got another 15 years. I got to tell it retire. And then you have people who are like, man, I don't, I don't even work. Like I, I go and it's, it's one of the most amazing. That's I honestly can, I honestly can say like, Oh my God, it's best uh, thing I've ever, like, I love it. So I can understand what people say when they say that. Hoping no one else figures this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean I don't have my, my ups and down days. Don't get me wrong. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> it's it's funny. I just this came to my mind. But one of the things we try and help you know students with and and practitioners with is is to is our routine systems and procedures for business so that they can actually do the stuff they love, right? Which is mm -hmm. connect to source, connect to soul, connect to the patient, right? Um, and it's it just reminded me of the like again the routine that you form for yourself to be able to clear resistances from your body so that you can receive and you can. Mm -hmm. Right. You can receive from the patient, mm -hmm. 
can receive from source, you can give to the patient. So it's, um, I don't know, just the, the little parallel that uh, what we've what we've come up with here at, at uh, Osteo Mentorship. So. And I think you, you summed it up perfectly, uh, Jacob. I love the way you're, like the whole uh, way that uh, you described it, it uh, like I, it's the same thing for me. It's the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think there's, there's uh, such an advantage to knowing that and helping others understand that when you're more specific with the intention and focus you have, uh, that what that opens up is, is just incredible. So it's, mm -hmm. if they can, uh, take anything from this where they can just start to investigate that and maybe find something on their own to create their own little routine where they can get plugged in like that. I think, uh, well, number one, that's the intent of one, this podcast of, and, and having these meetings and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is to help more people dive into that depth so that we can help be of better service to, to everyone else uh, that comes in to see us. Right. So, um, <laughs> can you talk a bit about the Tibetan rites? I, I've, 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 I know a little bit about them, but, uh, just mm -hmm. for our listeners and stuff and, and, and also a second follow-up question. Do you find yourself throughout the day? Do you ever need to use that mantra you have to, to try to refocus and recenter yourself? If you find yourself, your energy drifting or your, it's funny. I was going to say the same, or what do you do between patients? Yeah. Cause sometimes you have to, you know, you walk out, you know, almost clear the space and come back in. Do you have, do you have a routine between clients that kind of gets you centered again and ready to, and ready to see the next person? Yeah. So I'll, I'll touch on a, a couple of those. And then I'm going to get back to the, the point you made, Kevin, because I think it's also important that, and you had someone on who talked about it and I'm going to forget his name offhand, but he talked about the importance of your patient understanding what you're doing. I think he was from Australia or that, uh, uh, whale Muhammad, uh, yeah. I was mood. Yeah, my yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So I want to get back to that in a second, but I'll get so the the piece on uh, what I do in between for sure, hundred percent. There's times where my energy just drops through, through the day, so I'll either redo my ma mantra, I'll do a five minute meditation if I have it. When I when I leave the room, a lot of times I'll just like you said, I'll clear the space. One of the things that I learned uh, from uh, Dr. Koss is what Dr. Falford used to do is he would just put his hands together, he'd breathe in deep, and then he'd breathe out quick, and that would be his way of clearing the space around him. And then I go out the door and 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 uh, call in my next patient. So that's what I do in between. The Tibetan rites I learned about offhand. I, I was reading something, and they talked about it. Like, what is this? So I looked it up, and there's a book about this guy. And really, what he did is, um, he was he he was a soldier, and I can't remember the dates offhand, but let's say it was back in the 50s or whatever during the war. He was over there, and he had found this community, and he found this community, and he was like. Hey guys, it's Sean, Kevin, and Jason here from osteomentorship.com. Today, we'd like to tell you about the Masters in Business for Osteopaths. It's an eight-week live interactive online program empowering you with a solid business framework to build your practice fuller and faster with confidence. This live interactive program is a pivotal business training program developed by osteopaths for osteopaths that will challenge you to execute at your highest level. Your MBO bridges the gap between your formal education and real life practice success. Please visit us at osteomentorship.com forward slash MBA. They're all in their 60s and 70s. And he's like, but they look like they're in their 30s. He's like, what are these guys doing? Goes back for more. And, you know, his health completely declines. He's in his 60s. He's walking with a cane. He's like, just in terrible health. He's like, I'm going to go back there and find out what they're doing. So he goes back to Tibet. And he was telling a friend of his about this. And he goes back to Tibet. 
and he finds this fine finds this colony of people and he's like what are you guys doing that and this is what he learns he learned that they were every day they would do these tibetan rites and they would do them to move the energy in each of those centers in the proper way as long as your energy is moving in that proper way every day your body's going to be fine because it's letting that energy there's no like we talk about there's no blockages to it right so he's he learned it for you know i think he was there five or six years and he came back and he had uh, knocked on the door of this friend friend answers the door and looked at him didn't know who he was it's like who are you it's like i'm i can't remember his name offhand i'm you know i'm i'm him he's like you you there's no way he goes yeah i swear to god goes this is what these guys are doing so then they wrote a book on exactly what it was that tibetan rites are doing which is just five movements you know you're you're spinning you go on the ground you do movements to their legs and it's just moving the centers from uh, the two knees you know um uh, just about the, yeah, below the umbilicus your xiphoid process area right the neck and uh, your third eye and it's just moving those centers around properly yeah it's pretty i i like it it's it's good i i do it every day and I think once you become, once it becomes a habit, like it's like, you, yeah, I just, I have to, no matter what, if I'm traveling anything, I, I got to do it. it. Just makes me feel good. So yeah, that's what he did. Um, to go a little bit back on, on what you were saying, Kevin, uh, I agree. Like it's not only informing other osteopath, it's, you know, informing uh, the patient about what's happening and, and what the possibility is. I think that's one of the problems we have with, uh, you know, the way we're raised nowadays, it's about immediate results. You know, if I take a Tylenol, my, my fever goes away. If, uh, you know, if I, I go somewhere, I take a pain medication, the pain goes away. And, and it's just about this immediate gratification. But if you look at the way the human body works, nothing is immediate. I mean, if you cut yourself, it's not like instantaneously the next day you wake up and there's brand new skin there and there's nothing ever there. It, your body has the ability to heal. But one, you gotta you got to allow that to occur. So uh, giving them the information that they can understand that it's not just about, you know, I'm going to come in and, and do one specific thing to you. And then you're going to walk out tomorrow and all of a sudden, Hey, hallelujah, I'm done. I'm good. Good forever. It just doesn't work that way, but they don't know that. Yeah. Right. So it's just as important, you know, as we inform other osteopaths, there's just more out there if you want, but so is there for, for the, for anyone, if they really want to heal. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, we, we always, call that planting the seed you know like we're mm -hmm. we're you know how are they supposed to know yeah and get into that mm -hmm. vibration as well mm -hmm. that their body has that potential mm -hmm. unless you tell them that's so right our job is not just to explain like okay well the mechanics of things in my opinion uh but more than that their their capability mm -hmm. as a human as a a, a being that you know, we have these, uh, this power to, uh, to heal ourselves that we we're, all we're doing is just help uh, provide the space for that to happen. Right. Yeah. People always love yeah. that. So I was like, so why am I paying you again? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, they're like, so, so you're not really, I'm like, I'm yeah, just I'm helping doing. you along. That's it. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> but, but it's true. Right? When you, when you do yeah. use that language, number one, I find like it just made the dynamic and and the enjoyment about work so much more exciting because it, mm -hmm. just now you had these people and you could tell they're just hungry for that. Like people are really uh, interested in like, well, okay, I understand that. So that, how does that apply to me? What am I doing yeah. to make it such that my mm -hmm. body's not doing that? Mm -hmm. so that the, I just find for me, that's the most fun about what we do is just getting into that game and talking about that and 
finding mm-hmm. solutions for that, um, whether or not there's sometimes outside of what we're doing to to what we can help with. But um, yeah, that uh, and some of which, like you mentioned before, when you talk speaking about mediums, like <laughs> so, like I have like a, a shaman I send people to. I have a, a constellations that we'll use for for ancestral stuff. We have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think sometimes it's just a fig- when you do really listen about what that person needs, then it's just having that network network of people that you can use to to make it more specific again for for what they're going yeah. to. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And because we can't, uh, you know, we can't do everything either, right? Like sometimes, you know, we dive so deep into this, but it's good to have those resources where it's like, you know what? I know a lot about nutrition in my body, but I'm not necessarily going to be able to give you the nutritional advice that you really, really need. But I knew I know this person over here that could do that for you. Or like you said, I have, you know, a shaman or someone who does pathway progression or, you know what, they're, they're experts in that. And it's okay. Right. Go and see that. I think that's, you know, if we go all the way back to the first question you asked me about like the educational institutions, I think one of the things that really, really um, creates a bit of a, problem for us but it has it's it's everywhere you go is ego right i mean i read an article from 1906 and they talked about the same issues we talk about today in 1906 this school wasn't very good you go to the pacific school on the west coast it was terrible you know this this osteopath down the road no he's no good you know it it was in the art they they literally talked about that and it's you know that i think that ego really hurts us does it really does hurts everything really mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah absolutely it, which is funny i would say because it's it's you know it is but it's not really about us as because as we as we're trying to help we're, we're in service of others right so mm-hmm. it's good for them is good for everyone because we yeah. at the ripple effect right if you can help mm-hmm. that the individual in front of you connect with themselves right and you might have you know certain strengths that you're good at and you might need to refer elsewhere but if you can help mm-hmm. them they are their best doctor right yeah and it's like you say, it's like Kev, you say, planting the seed or peeling back a layer so that they have the, you know, the opportunity to reflect, mm-hmm. listen, and then and then act on that on that, you know, whatever's coming up for them, right? So, and you're and you and we are mediums, right? We are a medium for that to like, mm-hmm. you know, for their their body to connect to self, their their soul, their right, their heart. Well, and yeah. the patients love it too because, like, we refer out. Like you said, we're not the expert of everything. So when no. they pass them on to someone else, saying, "Really, oh, that's nice." That's you're really putting them first yeah, without and, yeah. without right. ego, and then they and then that's who you start mm-hmm. to attract into your practice, and it becomes like Sean that ripple. It just it, that's what feeds you. So your mm-hmm. marketing strategy is really just being yourself, and and yeah. and really we talk about these three E's all the time: engage, educate, and empower. And when you mm-hmm. start to attract people that want that in their life, and Quite frankly, everyone who comes in wants to learn about their body. Everyone's fascinated mm-hmm. to learn about different things from mechanics to start to then bigger and beyond. Then that just becomes this whole ripple where that's who you're attracting into your practice and makes work feel like not work. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Jacob, I like, I really appreciate the time you spent uh, uh, today with us. I, I wanted to just, if you have time, maybe just a, a brief uh, summary, a little bit about the work yet you got into about the living bone. Yeah. Maybe just explaining that to us a little bit uh, and for the listeners. Cause that's the name of, that's the name of your presentation, right? Yeah. Yes. 2020. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So the living bone. So this uh, again, came about just from 
personal experience, I, you know, treating and treating and treating. And I would put my hands on, on patients. And then I, I just noticed there'd be a difference. There'd be a difference in one area of a bone compared to another. So for instance, it could be at, you know, could be in the femur compared to the tibia or the tibia compared to the fibula or anywhere, right? You're, you're feeling that bone and you're like, and in the bone itself, there was a difference in one end to the other. And I'm like, what is that? And why is that there? Never even thought about it, but you'd go through your treatment and there'd be a lot of times where you'd feel like you were stuck, or at least I'd feel like I'm stuck. And I'm like, I'm not getting where I want to get. And I keep feeling this. So what is that? So I started looking and I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy a bunch of books on bone. So I start buying books on bone. And then I'm like, I think the lesion may actually be in the bone, not necessarily. I mean, we talk so much about joints. You talk about fascia, you talk about muscles. And then some of the things that I read sort of like were light bulb moments, you know, there's only three piezoelectric uh, pieces of the body, right? And, you know, fascia, our nervous system and bone. And I'm like, wait a second, why'd they make bone that? And I'm like, okay, so that, that has to be something. And so, you, so I started to dive into what it actually was and then just going back to, okay, so I'm going to start feeling what that is. So I would feel motion and movement everywhere, but that one spot. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to treat that. So I'd start treating it. And I'd notice, especially in things like, uh, just like, let's say a basic example of something like uh, like a tendonitis. And you'd be like, man, I'm plugging away at this damn thing forever. I'm working everywhere, trying to get that fluid out of that area, that tension out of the area. And you treat the bone. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, hey, things are much better. And I'm like, hmm, isn't that interesting? So that's what I dived into. And what I actually came up with and I, and I feel is that the bone itself holds the memory of the trauma. So when I was down in the US with my uh, mentor, he's like, here, look at this article. There was an article written about fascia holding memory. And uh, some of the books that I came across when I was creating this presentation uh, that Dr. Koss introduced me to, which was basically the fourth phase of water. Well, water holds information. So then I started looking how to, I'm like, so bones holding information, but what is it? What, what, what is it in the bone that can hold information? If I'm gonna say it holds information, well, what piece of it is holding information? So then I came up with the re realization that that fourth phase of water, he talks about, it, there's basically an exclusion zone that's created within water. And basically what you have is you have bulk water and you have this water that lines up along a uh, hydrophilic surface. And that water stacks itself based off of energy and it creates a barrier. And he talks about it in cells and gels that you can actually take a membrane of a cell. You can remove the membrane, but the cell still functions. And we talk about, you know, Bruce Lipton talks about the membrane really is the brain of the cell, right? Well, now he's saying you can even move the membrane, but the cell still functions. So how's that possible? Well, because the way that the water aligns itself, it aligns itself in a gel structure, almost like jello, right? Jello is 95% water, but it doesn't dissipate. It stays together, right? So it's the same idea. This thing stays together and keeps the form of the cell and the function of the cell. And then based off of electrical charge, it allows ions in and out. So anyways, I said to myself, okay, so if a trauma comes in and it changes that helical structure of that exclusion zone of water, it will change its vibration. Yep. And that vibration becomes its vibration, right? So then if it becomes its vibration, that's different than its original vibration, that new vibration that is the trauma's vibration is now the new function of that cell. So then it's holding that trauma until you change that back to its original form. I'm like, maybe that's what's happening. So that's my idea behind the living bone is that I'm going to, you know, introduce bone. I'm going to introduce the idea behind the fourth phase of water. I'm going to introduce like gels and cells, and then I'm going to kind of piece it all together.
And my the idea I, I've come up with to kind of make it interesting is that it, hopefully every single piece of that or slide of that is going to be related back to Dr. Still. So I'll give you one of them is that, you know, I was reading in Mechanical Principles, he talks about if you had, you know, someone who was complaining of dysfunction, he called it disease of, you know, the arm. And he's like, you look at the wrist, there's nothing in, the, I'm going to paraphrase it. If you look at the wrist, there's nothing in the wrist. If you look at the elbow and there's nothing in the elbow, if you look at the shoulder, there's nothing in the shoulder. You look at the neck, if there's nothing in the neck, you as an osteopath haven't done your job. You need to go back to the basis of the marrow and the periosteum. He says in the actual book itself, he doesn't say joint, he doesn't say muscle, he doesn't say fascia, he says marrow and periosteum, mm. right in his own writings. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> that... That could be something. So that's where the idea came from. And that's the, I, the hopes is to really get people excited is because I can relate it back to some of the Dr. Stills writings, Falper's writings, whatever. Writing. But that's the idea is that there's more to it than just a joint. There's more to it. If, if the trauma is being held, you know, Dr. Falford talks about like the trauma center. If you don't release that stress from the trauma center that's being held there, the whole body can't adjust. Well, same thing. What if you're looking at it from, if it came in, what if you're, you know, you can't change that person until you change you know, the structure of the bone. And then I got into the idea and I called it the living bone because when you look at bone itself, man, hmm. the functions it performs in the body are, it's crazy. You know, we always think about it as like a support structure, but then you look like hormones, blood volume, ion concentration, solute concentration, like it influences everything. And you think about the rule of the artery supreme. Well, if the artery doesn't have anything to pump, it isn't supreme, you need some blood there. Right. Well, where's that produced in the bone? So I'm like the link between those two. It's just like, oh, I got, I got to try and do something about this. That's amazing. I, I love that. It, I had so many bells going off here. It, uh, <laughs> it makes me think because in in German New Medicine they talk about the biggest uh, devaluation conflict is someone that has uh, bone issues. Oh, ah. wow! So imagine. So that got me thinking. Like, I love what you're the train of thought you're on is. Um, so the, the, the conflicts that people have, which devaluation conflicts are probably are everyday occurrences, right? Like people like, uh, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not, uh, I don't deserve having, this. Yeah, I'm having issues. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. their, their perception of things will have an impact on that. So it's, it's the true expression of the life field through the person is being altered by their perception, which mm -hmm. that can happen in many structures depending on how severe it is or what the context of it is or what that perception is right so uh that, that's so fascinating the way you're describing it it's just there's so many overlaps with things that i uh mm -hmm. that i use all the time so it's uh that's amazing it made me made me think of uh, uh in applied kinesiology with just the injury recall technique right and really zeroing yeah. in on the bone right and uh yeah. yeah irts are awesome we'll send you some of that stuff it's just it, yeah because it, it, um, yeah, it, you said it before, but what is the, you know, what is the anchor point? What is the, or what is the static that the body mm -hmm. is having to deal with and is adapting off of, right? So it's a, and uh, yeah, and then compounding the forces and stuff to release it, but it's, it's, and it's all about Same. that piezoelectric and, right. And, you know, mm -hmm. again, it's all, it, all this stuff is, is amazing. It's a, you know, mm -hmm. how, how it just comes together and, it makes me laugh because what you're saying in the bone almost made me stop taking osteo. So, 
you can probably tell Kevin's quite a bit older than I am. So he went into the program. <laughs> yeah. It must be it must be the gray hair, right? Oh, he hasn't started the Tibetan, right? That's yeah, it. I got it. <laughs> so I was in, I went to the CCO in Toronto and their first yeah. day introduction to, to osteopathy and the philosophy of, which is pretty cool. That was neat. And then the first class was on the sacrum. Barely got in. Yeah, barely got in. Had to write, like, Kevin had to write a recommendation letter. And, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and I come from, like, I'm, like, super, like, left-brained. Like, my brother's Legal. a microbiologist. My sister's a dietitian. Like, we came from that side. So yeah. I'm in sacrum. Day one for us, like, first class was the sacrum. Remember learning right on right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and as I'm going through my little fiche, and they had laughed a bit in the first day, saying, listen, you guys are lucky you even have sheets because we charge you so much money. We got to give you something to be students here. So we print yeah. them all out for you. And, you know, position of patients, you know, position of yeah. And action, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, as we're going through the days, it's like day three. So this is like my third day of having my hands on as a as an osteopath. And the title is like we're treating interosseous lesions of the sacrum. We're gonna treat the inside of the bone. I'm like, well, like shit, we are. Like, okay, so now I'm gonna treat the <laughs> yeah, sacrum. Yeah, yeah so that makes sense. That's never gonna happen. So I remember sitting the sand in the back. I'm like, this is like BS. Yeah. I treat the I bone. Knew Kevin was a weirdo. And uh, so I, yeah. I go back. To Kevin, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do it. I'm like treating the inside of the bone. He goes, Jay, relax. You're Scottish. Yeah. Just calm down. <laughs> you sit honestly, you just wait, wait, and you'll see. And it wasn't until we did embryology, which was two years later in my third year. I thought yeah. it was a toxics course. That helped a lot. And then where they talked about literally like how muscle and fascia and bone were all part of the mesodermic layer. And that really the way we influence muscle you can do the same thing with the bone because embryologically it's the same structure. And I'm like, ding, that's all I needed. I need that. Like, yeah. that makes sense to me. Your, Why would it not respond the same way if I'm using my hands on a fascia or a muscle bones, the same thing. And so I, I had to trust it for a while because the first little bit was a lot of trust in osteo. You're learning your mm -hmm. hands like on my feet. Oh, yeah. So it was funny because early, early on, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'm uh, drinking the the uh, the Kool Aid or not. The Kool Aid, yeah. Not yeah. within the long run. So that's fascinating. That's I think it's amazing that you have really seemed to. Obviously, your passion is very uh, obvious, but you've also not just like you've taken. You keep exploring and and learning and 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 really, you're going to help a lot of other osteopaths out there by your genuine curiosity and, and thirst for knowledge and we're all i'm now i'm really looking forward to that talk yeah, on uh yeah a frequent guest so it's gonna be cool that's awesome yeah that's that's great yeah and you know it, it's funny because if what you were talking a bit about there about you know emotional if you've ever come across that patient who's had a significant emotional event and they, and it, it came to me, I was looking at a slide from Dr. Casos at the uh, Dr. Falford's percussion amateur course, and he had the side view of the, the sternum and they talked about the emotional center of the sternum. And it, it showed like a living, you know, side view of it where you see the blood in it and you see, and I'm like, wow, that's the emotional center. Cause you see them, they hold that in them. And then you start to feel someone's sternum or their thoracic cage. And it's like a rock and you're like, that's it right there. That's it. Yeah, so it's so they can hold it anyway. Yeah. Oh man, that was amazing. Uh, so yeah, now you have no choice. You have to be back on the podcast because we awesome, uh... <laughs> awesome. Great. Let me leave you guys with a little pearl though, if okay. you guys want. So I was listening to I have an audio of uh, Dr. Sutherland. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what year it was from. Might have been 1946. So he was giving a talk, and he talked about uh, you know the common thing that you know, depiction the doctor still gave, which was, you know, the, the tail of the squirrel and the hole in the tree. And he said what the old doctor was actually talking about. 
and the hole in the tree was the foramen magnum. So our, we only understand a minute amount of what our possibility is, not just in the human body, but mainly in the brain and what that possibility is. Who knows? But we only see that tail. And he said it was actually in reference to the foramen magnum. Everybody thinks it's just, oh, we don't know anything about osteopathy. And the hole is in the tree. No, it was in the foramen magnum. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, man, I appreciate it so much, Jacob. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to meeting you guys. Good luck tomorrow. Yeah. Ah, thank you. <laughs> I'll try not to dry them. Yeah. What, what <laughs> did you do in the Olympic nice? or what, what uh, length are you no, doing? The sprint. sprint. Uh, and it just so happened. I literally, I, I've worked out since I was in my twenties, uh, I came from a more of like a weightlifting than a CrossFit background, a buddy of mine, another osteopath, Kyle, who's going to be there he, back in May. He's like, uh, I want to do this triathlon. You got, you got to do it with me. And I'm like, no, like I haven't swam laps. I swim a backyard pool, but I can't, he's like, no, you got to do it with me. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, all right. So I had two months to do the first one in June. I got in the pool. The first time my sister's a, a very good athlete, good swimmer. She swims like 5k three times a week. So I get in the pool to do one lap. I got to the other lap. I climbed up to the pool, called her up. I'm like, the hell am I doing? <laughs> There's no way in hell I can make this. Uh, Anyways, yeah. yeah. So I trained and trained. We got through that one and I got uh, another one tomorrow. So it's just, you know, it's a sprint distance, 750 swim, uh, 20K bike, 5K run. Excited. Nice. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I've never done one because I can't swim like that. I can swim in my backyard pool, but I can't swim either. I know. I couldn't either, but you know what? I worked on it. I'm not great. I'll tell you that right now, but I can make it through the 750. Right on. Tap into that potential from something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. So uh, great to see you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's going to be in October that we're at that conference. Yeah, so October that. 22nd, right? Sunday. 22nd, yeah. 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 So we'll have We'll have links in the show yeah, notes the to show notes. register for the conference if you haven't already. Um, yeah, and check us out on osteometrship.com. Excellent. Thank you. Thank so you much. guys. Right. Thank you guys for your hard work. Your podcast is awesome. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. No worries, man. All right. Thanks for checking out this episode. We hope you learned something or not. And if you haven't already, subscribe here to the Osteo Connection wherever you're listening. And hey, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And if you're still listening at this point, thanks, Mom. And if you're offended how much we've made fun of Jason, tune in next week and be sure to share with a friend. <laughs>